Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Wednesday pod here, Doug and Shahan. Thanks to you guys for joining us. Of course, you can always catch the Tuesday pod. We did that. We did all about the Georgia defense and was the Georgia defense last season while leading the Bulldogs to a national title even better than we thought based on what some of these guys did at the Combine. Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis. That's the Tuesday pod for Apple Podcast subscribers, $2.99 a month. We'd love to have you guys join us there. You get less than a dollar a show. You get a little more me, which is okay. But you get more Shahan, which is, ooh, invaluable, invaluable. Today we're going to do – we just picked three things we're curious about, interested in watching as spring football is underway. A lot of teams have been going for about a week for spring football. Some just getting started up this week. A lot of places I'd like to get going before spring break. You get a couple practices in, and everybody can think and ponder and watch film, and you come back, come back and finish it up. As we know, Shahan, 15 practices for the spring. Most teams at 15th practice is the spring game. We'll start with you. Uh, you know, we can go anywhere here. This is a show kind of about the playoff. So, you know, what are some things we're looking at in spring football that are going to maybe matter when we get to the fall in the playoff race? Yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to start with one of the teams that has been in our four team sort of uh I, I guess perennial contender class. And I'm curious, you know, for Oklahoma, what does this new era look like under Brent Venables? And I think more specifically with Oklahoma, you know, how far along does Brent Venables feel like this defense is? You know, do, does he feel like this is a personnel thing? Do, does he feel like, you know, we're, we're two, three years out from being able to have the, the kind of players that we need to have to, to really compete? Because look, I, I mean, last year was the worst Oklahoma season since 2014. Which is to say they went 10 and two and still could have won the big 12. So what does this new era look like under Brett Venables? They're obviously bringing in a new coaching staff with Jeff Levy on the offensive side of the ball, uh, coming from Ole Miss. Like, I'm just curious, where do they feel like they're at? And, uh, and do they feel like they have a roster to be able to right away put out a team that is kind of created in Brett Venables image? How much? <laughs> Are there certain players that we're looking for there? And it is, I mean, it's so interesting, the transition. Is it? Is it really more the vibe? I mean, this is about as stark of a transition from an offensive football team to a defensive football team as we have. I don't even know what it would compare to. That'd be a great project for you this offseason at CBS Sports, Sean. When, I mean, Lincoln Riley is perhaps the defining offensive mind in college football of the last decade and Brent Venables is perhaps the defining defensive mind in college football in the last decade. And one is replacing the other. Is it really vibe? Is that the main thing when you have such a personality switch for a program? I think that's a big part of it. And you mentioned teams kind of flipping from one to the other. Uh, I mean, obviously this is my experience because this is a program I covered, but you know, you go from Art Bryles to Matt Rule, right? And and what happens is, and there's a million pieces of context with why obviously things go bad, but you do go from 
10 and three, two years later to one and 11, right? It's because there is this, this stark transition of what you want your roster to look like, what you want your players to look like. And, you know, you, you talk about personnel. I mean, a lot of the personnel who you would have liked to have been there, you know, are guys like Perrion Winfrey, who, who is gone, right? You know, are guys like Nick Benito, who's gone. And so I think that I especially will be looking at sort of the guys that they have on the defensive line because they've recruited defensive line pretty well. But when you look at Clemson, I mean, that was their signature position in a lot of ways. And they did add a couple of guys uh, via the transfer portal. You know, uh, Jeffrey Johnson is somebody who came in from Tulane. Uh, you know, I, I think that they have some guys maybe coming in. And the other part of this, too, is that I expect that a lot of teams – after spring are going to kind of look at what they have, especially with, with a school like Oklahoma and, and kind of look at the transfer portal and think, okay, do we have more instant impact guys who can maybe come in? But I, I'm curious, you know, cause for example, if after spring practice, if all of a sudden they add three more transfers or something like that, then that tells me, right, that, that they don't feel like they like what they have. So I'm curious. You know, I, it will to some extent, I think be a vibe check, but, uh, but I am curious you know, from their perspective, do they feel like the program is in a good spot or do they feel like they have to kind of rebuild to, to build a program that they want? I do think that Baylor is instructive here. What Baylor went through is a little bit of Oklahoma light to go from the Art Bryles era, RG3, offensive football, then Matt Rule, now Dave Aranda at Baylor. And Dave, I mean, again, Dave Aranda, this is that's a great defensive mind. And I'm always very curious about the merging of a coach's personality and style and the program's personality and style. Because, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story. This is how good of a reporter I was. Am. Now I'm just a podcast host. Maybe I'm not a reporter anymore. But I was very intrigued. People know I covered Ohio State football since 2005. And as we got to the 2010 season and Jim Tressel, that offseason, in, in his 10th year, I embarked on trying to talk to everybody around Ohio State about the merging of the Jim Tressel sweater vest kind of special teams and defense style of play merging with what Ohio State football was and that he had it had become one. And there had been a time, obviously, when Woody Hayes is the defining personality of a place like Ohio State, but Trestle had molded Ohio State in his own image. And his was so distinct, but and Ohio State's personality was so distinct, but the merging of them was so interesting to me. And I was calling all these people. I was talking to boosters. I was talking to, to community leaders. I was talking to people in Trestle's past. And like as I was doing all that, is like, while wow, like the NCAA, NCAA violations that would doom him were like, taking place and i was like <laughs> do you think he'll be here forever do you think that they will name the stadium after him and so it was a reminder to me of like just when you think a guy's locked in you never know what's going on behind the scenes but uh, again i i uh, i covered art Bryles my entire time in college i understand yeah you never know you never know but the merging so oklahoma had been shaped in Lincoln Riley's image, whatever Oklahoma had been before, Bud Wilkinson, Oklahoma, Barry Switzer, Oklahoma, Bob Stoops, Oklahoma. Listen, Jabelle Holloway, right? Barry Switzer, Oklahoma. We know what that was. Oklahoma is a great national brand, but the new Oklahoma brand had become Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. It had become Spencer Rattler supposed to be. It had be Caleb Williams on the way. It had become quarterback it's like oh what's up with oklahoma football quarterbacks because of lincoln riley but it was one so now you have to disconnect now you rebuild in the image i think it's always a fascinating process and the fan base has to go through it right because you do you identify i love this team i love the colors i love the jerseys i love the stadium i love the food we eat on saturdays but you also grow to love a style of play and you love oklahoma through thick and thin but man they're a completely different team right now yeah, and I think that the one thing, because Oklahoma fans are very defensive on the internet right now about <laughs> what happened with Lincoln Riley, but I do think the one very legitimate thing uh, is that Oklahoma historically, like, yeah, they've had good offensive players, they've had good running backs, 
but they're a defensive program. You know, this is the program of Brian Bosworth. This is the program of Roy Williams, you know? And so I think that in a lot of ways, the Selman brothers, the Selman brothers. Yeah, ex- exactly. And so, uh, yeah, Leroy, I, I, come on, all that, all that. And so, uh, I'm just shouting out, I, we just play and name that sooner. I thought we were playing name that sooner. Sorry. Uh, you know, uh, what, what's the Billy Sims, you know, <laughs> whatever, but <laughs> so, um, no, but I, I think that, for example, right? Like, I think that, I think that fan bases that are really in tune with, with their coach and who really believe in their coach also can take on the personality of their coach in some ways. Right. And so, you know, Lincoln Riley was like a cool, calm, collected type. And I think that OU sort of followed uh, in that example. But like, I think that Brent Venables is like excitable and punchy and, you know, and physical and, you know, and, and I think that, I think that that's OU football to some extent. So I, I do think that from some perspective, you know, there, there was a, a little bit from a cultural perspective, you know, it was very sort of clean cut. It was very sort of like nice. And I do think that they are going to be more physical. I do think that that's a big part of the issues that they've had on the defensive side of the ball is sort of that overarching type culture. So the question is then at the same time, you know, if you have that, does the offense suffer? You know, it's kind of hard to kind of, uh, you know, do everything just right. But, but that's where I think having sort of a defined uh, kind of personality of a program really can help you. And, and I, I'm curious again, because these are players who were recruited to, to run the sort of clean cut, nice system. Uh, you know, does it take hold pretty quick or is this something, uh, cause you know, you even mentioned, I, I mean, you know, not to, not to go back to Baylor, but you know, with, with Matt Rule's teams, it took multiple years for them to, to really have that. No, it was only two years in practice, right? And then two years they were in a New Year's Six game. But, um, you know, at the same time, I'm just curious, where does that kind of leave them? And, um, you, you know, certainly from a talent perspective, their their floor is eight and four, right? It's not one and 11. But, uh, but I am curious what kind of turnaround it looks like. Do you know that I was on Stump the Schwab? No, I did not, I did not know that. Because it makes me want to play, now that we name that sooner, makes me want to play a game show here on the College Football Survivors Show. So I joined, I came to Ohio to start covering Ohio State in 2005. Before that, I worked in Wilmington, Delaware for eight years. I covered Major League Baseball, a bunch of other stuff. Wow. I, I honestly did not realize that uh, that Del- Delaware was a real state. I, I thought that, that was just like a tax haven something. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly buildings. Oh, yeah. Because credit card <laughs> shell companies. Uh, but it also has a lovely beach, good pizza. So I lived in Delaware. And so they were like starting to stump the Schwab and they were like, we need contestants. So I went to this bar in Philadelphia and I'm like, I'm a sports writer. I'm kind of cheating. But I like took a written test and then they were like, oh, yeah. Like I think I played a, played a practice game and I got picked to go record the show. And then I was like, they were so desperate for, for contestants. I told my best friend, I was like, man, you should try out. He went like the next weekend, tried out. He got picked for the show. So I went (laughs) and I played, it was me against three guys. Stuart Scott's the host. And uh, I beat the other two guys. I made it to the final round against the Schwab. And it's really, it was like a really fun show. A big of a big thing that I did pretty well at was they had sports pictures and then they would remove a person from the picture and say like, who's the person in this picture, right? Like it's Derek Jeter throwing home uh, against the A's. And it's like, who's that base? It's like, that's Jeremy Giambi. It's like, oh, who's this? It was like right what Tom Watson had done well at a major. And it was like, who's his caddy? And I was like, that's Bruce Edwards. And it's like, I knew Tom Watson's caddy and that helped me. So I barely beat this guy. Um, and then we go to the Schwab round and the Schwab smoked me, Shahan. I got absolutely <laughs> drubbed by the Schwab. I wish it was still on the internet. I've, I keep, I've looked over the years. Like, can I find my episode of Stump the Schwab? There's not a lot out there. I think Howie Schwab, the guy who was the Schwab, I mean, he's still the Schwab, but when ESPN had a bunch of those layoffs a couple of years ago, I think he was one of the guys that got laid off. So I don't know if they wiped the Schwabs from the, from the, uh, the, the library at ESPN. But I won. I so I, I got to the final round. I won nothing. They said they were <laughs> going to send me the ESPN almanac. They never even sent it to me. Oh my gosh! I didn't win a cent. I beat the <laughs> other two guys and made the final round. I had to. I cost me money. I had to pay gas to drive to New York and record the show. I got zip. That's 
That's crazy. I mean, no, no wonder it's not on the air anymore if they gave you nothing for it. It was so fun though. And, but it was like, it's like, here's yeah. Steve. Steve, what are you? Yeah. I'm an accountant. Here's Eric. What are you, Eric? I'm a mechanic. Here's Doug. What are you? I'm a sports writer. It's like, what are you doing here? This is cheating. I was like, well, you let me play. So I played. <laughs> Up until the start of this show. Greatest thing in my life, being on Stump the Show. I, I mean, I, I got to ask, did, did you uh, did you ever cover my boy Casey Keeler while you were at Delaware? Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I was never the Delaware beat writer, but we were all over. I worked for the newspaper in Delaware, so we were all over Casey Keeler and the fight in hands. Covered the end of the legendary Tubby Raymond. Um, I even covered, I think I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure I covered a game in college between Delaware quarterback Matt Nagy and New Hampshire quarterback Ryan Day. So that was like that was like a big <laughs> game. Awesome. Yeah. So anyway, that's, awesome. that's, that's my awesome. Schwab. If you can find my Schwab episode, please tell me because I'm still searching for it because I got the banter with Stuart Scott. So anyway. All right. Mine is Clemson. I'm starting with Clemson. When you said, hey, I'm doing a team that's one of our – I was like, oh, man, you're taking my Clemson. So the thing that I'm wondering about with Clemson is – we talked a lot on the Georgia podcast on Tuesday. Again, for Apple Podcast subscribers, go subscribe there. Use your thumb. Two ninety nine a month. That Georgia team was so imbalanced, but it didn't matter. Clemson last year, by efficiency metrics, had the third best defense in the country behind Georgia and Wisconsin. They lost some secondary guys, Andrew Booth, Mario Goodrich. They lost James Skalski, who'd played linebacker there for a decade. But they have their whole front seven back. They have a new defensive line coach and Nick Eason who says we're gonna we're loaded at defensive line. We're gonna have the best defensive line in the country. Uh Tyler Davis could have gone pro state. Xavier Davis could have gone pro state. KJ Henry could have gone pro state. Brian Brzee won't be around in spring, coming back from an injury. He'll be fine by the start of the season. Miles Murphy. Brzee and Murphy, both third year guys. Brzee was the number one recruit in the country in the class of 2020. Murphy was number seven. The other two guys who should start on the defensive line, Xavier Thomas was the number three overall recruit in 2018, and Tyler Davis was number 137 overall recruit in 2019. I think Clemson has a chance to be as good or almost as good with as many dominant individual players on defense as Georgia was this year. And then instead of Stetson Bennett, you got DJ Uyunglele, who's dropped 15 pounds. Clemson started spring practice last week. People are fired up about that. Kobe Pace, Will Shipley, the running backs, both of them kind of dealing with injuries. They'll be back. But I'm almost not worried about DJ Shahan because we just talked about, do you not need to be balanced if you're so dominant on one side of the ball with new defensive play callers, Brent Venable's gone, with the new defensive line coach there. I'm curious, does this line, this front seven, Trenton Trenton Simpson, a linebacker who's a five-star guy who has a chance to really pop, Andrew Makuba, I think I'm saying his name right, a safety that people really liked as a freshman last year. I think they have like – I think they could a year from now have four or five defensive players who are in contention to be first-round picks. And I'm curious if this spring we start to see the emergence of a Clemson defense that will drag Clemson back to the top of college football, and it's not going to be on DJ Uyunglele at quarterback to do it. I get it. I, I'm just worried that. I mean, DJ can't be the worst quarterback in the ACC, right? Like, that's just not good enough. That He has to be average. But can he be Stetson Bennett? Can he be – it's a walk-on versus a five-star. I mean, Stetson Bennett, for all the limitations that he had, the way that they used him was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country. Now, it's because they didn't have to use him so much, but that's sort of the thing, right? I think that DJ can be bad if they run the ball really well, if they move the ball really well. but a lot of their offense is built around DJ. And I think that you even saw last year, you know, they don't have a a world-beating offensive line to kind of just push guys over, right? That, that's kind of something that George has been able to do historically. Clemson doesn't have that. That's never really been their game. So I just worry, uh, you know, I he doesn't have to be amazing because he was, again, the worst quarterback in the ACC last year, which is saying something. and. They still went 10 and three, right? Like they still won 10 games, even in this disaster of a year. And I do think that their defense is going to be potentially even better next year. I just, it, you can't, it, it's so hard to look past that quarterback position and whether that's going to be enough. So two things, 
Brandon Streeter, who is the quarterback's coach, is now taking over as the offensive coordinator. This is nothing against Tony Elliott, but he was a running back's coach, and he was a really good offensive coordinator, so good that he got hired as Virginia's head coach. That's DJ's guy. His position coach is now like, it's going to be even more, hey, let's let's call plays that put DJ in the best possible position. So I think that might pull something out of him. But my main point, Jahan, is does it matter? Or is, is if, here we are, we just called the Georgia defense the greatest collection of talent in the history of defenses. And then the very next podcast, I'm like, and Clemson's going to be just as good. Is that an insane thing to say? Or is this model, can Clemson follow the Georgia model? Will we start to see this? Will we hear the talk without Brent Venables? Again, parting gifts from Brent Venables. Hey. I'm off to Oklahoma. By the way, enjoy these five-star defensive linemen that I helped recruit a couple years ago. Is is that a reasonable comparison, or is Georgia such an outlier it makes no sense to compare anybody to them? I think it's less that Georgia's an outlier because, I mean, look, Clemson at the number three defense in the country last year, like you mentioned. I, I mean, by every metric, they were an elite, elite, elite defense, uh, and it wasn't enough to get them to the ACC. Now, the nice thing that you say is that they don't play Georgia in the non-conference, right? Their their non-conference is much more manageable this year, though they do go to Notre Dame. That's going to be a tough game, but it's not unbeatable. I think for me, the bigger question is I look around college football right now, and I kind of just think that everybody else is going to be a little better than uh, than even maybe what Georgia had to go through, right? Because I think that a huge part of Georgia being able to do this was that it wasn't a culmination year for Alabama. And I look at 2022 when you have a junior Will Anderson and a sophomore coming, or a, a junior again, I guess, retro sophomore, junior, I don't know, Bryce Young, third-year player regardless. Like, this is a more of a culmination year for Alabama, right? Like, so I don't think that a one-side-of-the-ball dominant Clemson can beat that Alabama. I don't think that a one-side-of-the-ball dominant Georgia can beat that Alabama. I think that they're going to need to be even better on the offensive side of the ball to compete with them. So that's what concerns me. Now, can they make the playoff being one-side-of-the-ball dominant? I think that they can. Again, I I look at the schedule. I The game that I really have circled for them is October 1st versus North Carolina State. That's a team that beat them last year. It's also a team that has li- literally never won 10 games, even though they've been 10 game, uh, 10 win quality before. So I, I'm really going to be looking at that game because they kind of have to get things figured out pretty quick. They go at Georgia Tech versus Furman versus Louisiana Tech. They go at Wake Forest and Wake Forest. I think, I, I think that Clemson's a bad match for Wake Forest just because of what they can do on the defensive line. But, you know, Wake Forest brings a whole lot back and then they get NC State. So it's kind of a, I, I think that they can probably make it through being defense heavy, but to me, they can't be a national contender if they don't figure out some stuff on the offensive side of the ball. Got to watch for this spring. You guys can Google this. You can follow him on Twitter. Nick Eason, new defensive line coach, Clemson player and captain 20 years ago, played in the NFL, coached in the NFL, coached at Auburn. They brought him in this year, and I think he's going to help I think he's going to be a, a huge factor. Everybody does in sort of this new Clemson, this post Brent Venables Clemson, the defensive lineman are talking about this as a guy who wants to put on pads and get out there and play. He thinks they have the best defensive line in the country. They did lose some guys in the secondary. Can Nick Eason as a new coach, but as a, a former player at Clemson, which is you don't hire former players because they're former players, but what a nice bonus it is. Can they drive something? Can they? They're going to go about six or seven deep with really, really great talent on that defensive line. Can they drive this Clemson team? And they're going to have a little chip on their shoulder, right? I mean, the whole thing. You have a down year after Clemson, after Alabama did not make the playoff in 2019. All I talked about that entire offseason was angry Bama, angry Bama, angry Bama, and Bama came out and steamrolled its way to the national title. We're going to get a look at angry Clemson. And we haven't seen angry Clemson in a while because we've seen good, 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 good Clemson. So look for Nick Eason, look for the defensive line, and look for a little anger this spring. Keep an eye on the Tigers. We'll come back with our other four teams we're watching this spring next on the College Football Survivor Show. Oh, and Shahan, by the way, when we come back, I'm going to give my address in case anybody from ESPN is listening and they would like to mail me the ESPN Almanac from 2004, which I am still owed after this. 
In case you missed the last college football survivor show. So that's five Georgia defensive players who could go in the first round. They could have eight defensive players in the first three rounds. Then you look through their guys. Jalen Carter will be back in Athens this year. He's clearly a future first-round pick at defensive tackle. And then Keely Ringo had the pick that sort of yep. sealed the national championship game. That guy could be a first-round pick. That defense they put out there, was it possible they had six or seven first-round picks on that defense? And did they have 10 or 11 guys who were going to be top three-round picks in the NFL draft? It is amazing. It is rare, even in the era of talent consolidation. I think we pretty much knew it. But we're getting reminded about it now, how unbelievable the talent for Georgia's defense was. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Doug Lamarie, Shahan J. Haraja. My address is 746 Easton. No, none of that's true. I don't want to know. I can't even imagine. There's people. There's people who just can't stand me. I can't imagine what people would send me if I gave my real address. <laughs> Although it would be a good experiment. You know how sometimes, like, you ever do the thing where you, like, uh, send out a bunch of – people did this back in the day. You know what the post office is, right? You put a stamp on a piece of paper and it goes uh, – I've heard of it. It's uh, it, it, it's like uh, it's like the caveman version of electronic mail, right? Yeah. But, but think about this. Think about this. We live in a world where you can just write something down, put it in an envelope, put a sticker on it, that cost you like 50 cents and it will find its way to anyone in the country in a couple days. Now I know the post office has been a little jacked up the last couple of years, but it's still, it remains like the idea of like, well, what if we had uh, people going to live places? Well, what if we put numbers on where they lived and what if we like named where they live? So everybody would have like an individual thing. And then that way you could send stuff. People's like, what are you talking about? That seems complex. I can't believe the post office exists. What a great, do you know who invented it? What a great system they came up with. The internet pales in comparison to the idea of putting <laughs> a letter in the mail. I'm going to mail you something. I'm going to mail, I'm going to get your address. Well, I'll just say it. Now. You want to say it now when we get from you after the show? Uh, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. Uh, only for loyal. Maybe I'll put that on the, uh, on the premium show. <laughs> <laughs> Next up for $2.99 a month, here comes Shahan's social security number for $2.99 right now on Apple Podcasts. I'll mail you something after the show, and then next week we will appreciate and and just bask in the afterglow of the miracle of the United States postal system. Underrated. Underrated. Who's your next team? <laughs> Well, I'm going to I'm going to go from a team that missed its first playoff uh, in a while to a team that played in the national title game, and that's Alabama. I look at this Alabama squad and the scariest thing is that they bring back their best player on either side of the ball. How often does that happen that Alabama just brings back their best players? It just never but the big question that I have is the big question. Uh, well, I guess you could phrase it like this. The big issue that I have is why they lost the national title game. And it's because when they're down, their top two receivers, who's going to step up? So, of course, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, off to the NFL, their top two receivers. And I need to know, who's next? Who's going to step up? Uh, who, who are going to be those guys? Now, the one surefire, no question about it option is Jermaine Burton, the Georgia transfer. He finished second on the team uh, for Georgia in receiving yards, playing in an offense that really did not care to feature him. Um, actually, I think he might have led the team in receiving yards. And Alabama has recruited at such a high level on, at receiver, right? Corey Brooks was somebody who who had a big playoff. Jojo Earl, uh, a kid from Texas, you know, he he was a top 50 recruit as well. Treshawn Holden. They have a lot of options. This is not an issue of not having the talent, but who's going to step up in that receiver room? Because we think back to a couple years ago, right? When they had those four guys, when they had Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, gosh, who were the other guys? Uh, <laughs> uh, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, and Devontae Smith. Of course, of course. The Heisman winner, of course. Yeah. Uh, apparently, I would not do well and stump the Schwab at this point. But uh, <laughs> Name but, that Crimson Tide! 
<laughs> but anyway, you got those four guys, and then you kind of had John Mechie come in in the second wave of them, right, when two of those guys were left. And so it felt like for five years, basically, you had elite, elite, elite receiver play that you just knew what was going to happen. You don't have that right now in Alabama. Now, they have the talent, but they don't have those guys. And so I think that coming out of spring camp, what they need more than anything else is for some of those guys to emerge. I'm I'm confident with what they have at quarterback. I'm confident with what they have at running back. I'm confident with what they have on the defensive side of the ball, especially at pass rusher. But I need to see guys emerge and be special at receiver because, I mean, I think that there probably isn't a position that's had more of a come up over the past 10 years than receiver. You know, I think at, at one point it felt like these guys were pretty replaceable. But, you know, at this point, I think the guys who are truly special do change college football. I mean, 2019, you see Joe Burrow obviously have those great options like Jamar Chase uh, and Justin Jefferson. 2020, you have Alabama with Devontae Smith. And I think last year when Alabama didn't have those players, it changed everything for them. Uh, you know, I think even Ohio State covered up a lot of holes by just having the best receiving core in the country last year. So if Alabama is going to win the national title, which I think that you just go into every season assuming that they have a chance to do so, they really need to grow up at receiver. These guys are young. Jermaine Burton's really the only major contributor that's an upperclassman. Uh, but, but they really need to grow up fast because, uh, because Bryce Young is a really great player and, and you need to take full advantage of him. Top three receivers gone. Slade Bolden, their third leading receiver, also at the NFL Combine. Uh, among guys who Cameron Latu as a tight end had more catches, but the, for receivers, the top three receivers all gone. And again, this strategy, Nick Saban playing chess. What's your receiver strategy? We're going to get to the national championship game. Then we're going to see who their receivers are. And then we're going to take one. So in 2020, (laughs) they said, ah, Jamison Williams. He doesn't seem to be playing here. They take him. In 2021, they play Georgia national championship game. Oh, that's Jermaine Burton. They don't seem to like him that much. We'll take him. Saban, again, I would go back to the thing. Saban warning the world. This transfer portal thing, I'm just saying, I think we might need a little bit of more of a plan in there. Everybody was like, ah, Nick Saban, why don't you mind your own business? And he's like, I'm just telling you that I'm going to win it if you keep it like this. And so to steal starting receivers from teams that you played at the national championship game, he warned you. He warned you. (laughs) He's telling you. People think like Nick Saban is like trying to like with the poker face, like, oh, like he's bluffing it. He's he has four aces. And he's like, I have four aces. Everybody's like, why don't you not tell us what's in your hand? And he's like, because I don't want you to lose all your money. I have four aces. So they've got to get, right? I mean, the the recruiting when they had Waddle Smith, Judy, and Ruggs, I mean, that is not normal. But that it's the second consecutive year of going in to that portal. Listen, and I know Saban said this offseason that he thought, you know, there were opportunities for some of the young receivers when they had the injuries to their two best receivers at the end of last year. And he didn't necessarily think those guys stepped up. So he's challenging those young receivers, but Burton's going to be one of the answers. But it is kind of an odd thing, Shahan, when you think about, you know, Bryce Young, I think, is the offseason Heisman favorite, which is bonkers. Don't bet money on Bryce Young because Bryce Young could have a better year and people aren't going to want to vote for him. The Heisman is a storyline award. And people, it's get, we've had a, a run now. I mean, there was a time when, lat, you know, guys going to the pros were the guys who won the Heisman. Now we've had a lot of young guys, a lot of young guys win the Heisman and nobody's repeated. And it's not because they stop being good football players. It's because people don't want to vote for a repeat winner. They want Archie Griffin to remain sacred. So do not put money on Bryce Young to win the Heisman because I think he could throw, unless they go undefeated, and when the nat are undefeated and make the playoff and he throws 50 touchdown passes, people aren't going to want to vote for him because he already has one. They want more people in the Heisman house. I think Nissan has something to do with it. They're like, ah, we needed a new guy for the commercial. We don't just want, although they could do a thing. They could have Archie and Bryce and they each have two. And then they could be like in a special double wing. I do like the Heisman house. I'm not here to give free advertising to Nissan, but you know how, like third, 20 years ago, they had the Geico cavemen, and then they made a TV show about the cavemen. 
I actually thought that show was very funny. I think I was the only person in America who watched the Geico. <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> watched the Geico Caveman Show. All right. So again, listeners, please find my Stump the Schwab episode and find the old Geico Caveman half-hour comedy episodes that have been lost to history. I would watch a weekly, like maybe a 10-episode Hulu run of the Nissan Heisman house because I think their commercials are pretty funny. And there are some guys in there that are pretty good actors. Eddie George, he's a real actor. He's in there. Baker Mayfield's probably – Baker Mayfield might be a better actor than he is a quarterback at this point. Wouldn't you watch 10 episodes of the Heisman house? I, I think I would. No, I, I think that they do it well. And I think that like – because something with a lot of these commercials, right? They just take themselves so seriously. And I love that they, they'll do the meta storyline. They'll do the dumb thing that maybe we thought of, but we never thought that they'd do. You know, we, we had like a, a reference like Baker flag planting, all that sort of stuff. Like that, that sort of stuff's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, you know, coming up through journalism school, the, the big thing that you hear from everybody is don't, you know, don't give back to back Heisman's because, uh, you know, Archie Griffin, you can't, in, Bryce Young, no Archie Griffin. That's something that we're taught, obviously, from, uh, from a young age. Uh, you know, people really think about that a lot. But in, in seriousness, I think that if Alabama were to go 15 and 0 and win the national title, I think that Will Anderson would win. I, I think that they would sort of just be like, we messed up last year by not including him in this conversation because we thought that Michigan having a, senior defensive player was pretty cool or whatever and uh and i think that they would sort of be like all right let's let's credit this defense and and no i mean now it's the same sort of deal will anderson (laughs) set every record for stats at alabama Uh, maybe he doesn't do that but i do think that even still uh you know he's gonna have a good chance to win and yeah i mean just back to the to the saban thing for a second i think though when saban's career is done we're going to have to look back at the fact that Alabama is the like only school in history who basically is just like, if I want a player, I'll just take him. Like whether they're a recruit, whether they're a transfer, like it doesn't matter. Like, cause I think that with Georgia, especially early in Kirby Smart's tenure, it was very like, let's find the guys who really want to go to Georgia who are highly ranked and we're not going to think too much about roster construction. We're not going to think too much about positional depth. And, you know, we, we just want as many good players as possible until like it's until it's self-sustaining with Alabama. It's like, they're just like, eh, we need a receiver. What if we took one from Georgia? Eh, we need a running back. What if we took one from Georgia tech who was a top hundred player? Yeah. We could use a cornerback. What if we took LSU's top corner? Like, they just do that. It, they're, they're just like the, the, the crazy thing, right? Because a lot of coaches talk about, do we really want football to be like this? And the funny thing about Nick Saban is that he's asking, do we really want things to be like this? Okay. Just checking. I'll beat you like that. Then. Yeah. Right. So I mean, again, like the idea of like, okay, so what's the rule now? The rule is I can take your best players. Are you sure you want that to be the rule? Okay. I will say the whole transfer thing. My daughter, after her freshman year of high school, transferred high schools within our town because she wanted to go to the academic program that was at the other high school. But she had played tennis as a freshman. Now she wanted to play tennis as a sophomore at the other school. And they were going to make her sit out a year. And we were like, but it's, it's like she's like borderline varsity at a, for a tennis team that's going to win three matches this year. Like, what are you doing? Who are you serving by having a person like – not be allowed to play a sport for a whole year of high school. So we had to go to a hearing with the high school association in Ohio. We had lawyers from our school district have to go. It was the most insane experience of my life of like, <laughs> what are you trying to do? But as this was a couple of years ago, but like, as that was happening, it was like, you realize in college, Nick Saban can just take everybody's best players. Now we've moved away from this punishing people for changing their mind on when they go to school. But my daughter, the high school tennis player has to sit out a year. I brought that up. I brought it up in the hearing. (laughs) And they were like, we know who you are. You're a sports writer. And I was like, yeah, you know who I am. You better do. I didn't actually threaten anybody. So they did it, but it's just the, we are past, right? I mean, like the idea of punishing people for wanting to change where they go somewhere. We're past that now. We don't do that anymore. But as if this is the new world, Nick Saban is going to be like, all right, I have four aces. Now I'm taking the ace out of your hand. And now I have five. I'm sorry. Okay. 
A lot of personal information. I may as well just give my address at this point. What am I holding back from? <laughs> um, I just was looking something else up, and now I can't remember what it was. But I'm going to do – if I think of it, I'll, I'll go back to it. Oh, I have an idea. This is what it was. I have an idea for the Heisman House. Okay. I, f- I don't think Joe Burrow has been in a Heisman House commercial yet. Is that right? I don't think I've seen one. I don't think so. And he's a, he's a pretty charismatic guy. I think he'd be a good actor, just like Eddie George or some of these you – know, uh, uh, Kyler Murray, I think, has been really good in them. So here's my thing. So Joe Burrow, like a bunch of the guys, Billy Sims and a bunch of the guys are Eddie George. They're sitting around in the living room. And Juro, Joe Burrow comes in with his Joe Burrow drip, right? Like with the chain and like the leopard print suit, just like the whole Joe Burrow thing that has happened. And everybody's like, hey, Joe, looking pretty good, man. And so then after Joe Burrow, in come in the exact same outfits, Gino Toretta, Danny Werfel, Chris Wenke, Eric Crouch, and Jason White. And it is a parade of former Heisman winning quarterbacks who are like, well, if this drip works, works for Joe Burrow, maybe it'll work for me. <laughs> and then Chris Wenke and Eric Crouch and Jason White, they're just standing there in the Heisman House living room in a Joe Burrow outfit and like Eddie George and Billy Sims and Barry Sanders are just like, what is this? What do you think? Is that a winning commercial? (laughs) I like it. I I think that we got to find the, like, who would be the dorkiest Heisman winners? Like, uh, that's an off season pod, the 10 dorkiest (laughs) Heisman winners. I I feel like we got to get like Danny Werfel in there. Probably like we get Tebow in there. We get Tebow in there. Oh my God. I don't think I don't even want that Tebow drip. Little Tebow drip. So anyway, if I I could just, that's, that would be, that's my career path is Schwab college football survivor show riding Heisman house commercials. Yeah. And, And I will say like, I am impressed with the commitment from the older guys. Right. Cause like, cause, cause like, that's the thing is that usually you can't get people to like open up like that. But there's a lot of these older legends who are just like happy to, to play along. And I, I really do appreciate that. Okay. My second team, I'm going to do Ohio state because this is, this does matter. People do think Ohio state is a national title contender. Ohio state started spring practice on who fighting, uh, fighting Buckeyes, the Scarlet and Grant Ohio state. Oh, okay, okay. Fired, so, uh, yeah. A Ohio State University, yeah. right? And and Ohio State <laughs> University. The uh, <sighs> I, I'm sorry that you lost your job because of this. By the way, yeah. Anyway, Ryan Day has demanded my firing because I used uh, I said "an" instead of "the." <laughs> Started spring practice on Tuesday. Jim Knowles, new defensive coordinator, came out and talked about stuff and. They're revamping the defense. So watching this happen, again, this is a defensive conversation for me. Not about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Not about C.J. Stroud. We did ask about Jackson Smith and Jigba. I did find this interesting that Garrett Wilson in 2019 played outside, in 2020 played in the slot, and in 2021 they moved him back outside again as Jackson Smith and Jigba played in the slot last year. I was curious, are they going to move Jackson Smith and Jigba maybe back outside in 2022, that maybe that's a plan for their five-star receivers. We put you in the slot in your first year as a starter, then we move you outside. doesn't sound like that. They're going to move him around the field to get him open, but he's going to stay in the slot. He's so dynamic in there. But defensively is where it matters. Jim Knowles said it's going to be a safety-driven defense for a defense that has relied on edge rushers and cornerbacks. Safety, it's not that it's been an afterthought, but in a world where safeties can be super dynamic and be, move around and do lots of rotating post-snap and pre-snap and, and confuse quarterbacks and confuse offensive coordinators, that's not what Ohio State has done. They're going to do that. Court Williams is a guy who's a big uh, big recruit a couple years ago, third-year guy. I thought he might be a linebacker. They're going to play him at safety. They want playmaking safeties. And they're going to do this Jack Leo stand-up rush end that Ohio State's traditionally been a four-down four down lineman defense. This is what Jim Knowles brings. He wants one of those edge guys to be more versatile, drop in coverage a little bit more. They're not working that yet. They're going to let them kind of work just the four-down lineman kind of look for the first – couple weeks of spring practice and then they'll start working that in but we they have to figure out like who that guy is is it coming a guy coming from the linebacker room is it a guy coming from the defensive end room so 
They have some guys back on this Ohio State defense. Zach Harrison at defensive end. Denzel Burke started at corner last year as a true freshman. Ronnie Hickman was their leading tackler at safety. But there's a lot of guys moving around position, Shahan. They have two linebacker spots and 10 guys in the linebacker room fighting for those spots. There is a lot of flux. And so some of it is personnel, but a lot of it is schematically. We're going to watch an entirely new Ohio State defense come together this spring. These 15 practices are really important to figure out who and how. And we know Jim Knowles is good at this, but now he's got to implement it at a place where their defense has not been up to the standard the past two years. I'm curious from your perspective. I I mean, I think that one of the most interesting challenges that Ohio State and and kind of Big Ten teams in general face defensively is that you kind of, you know, you're playing such a, I, I guess, a heavy set so much of the Big Ten season, and then you play the national teams and all of them are are these dynamic spread teams you know when you look at that do do you feel like they I guess have schematically the the tools to transition between those two things it's like the discussion I've been having about Ohio State football for the past three years I think it is a fascinating discussion (laughs) that they're kind of one team during the regular season and another team in the playoff when they played Clemson in the playoff in 2019, they'd played a single high defense with one deep safety the whole year. They play Clemson. It's like, oh, look, they're in too high. They're asking a guy to do something that like he literally has not done the whole year because they had to change. And But then they started adjusting a little bit more. I think a move like this, they want to be um, more on the move. They want to do more to try to confuse offensive coordinators and quarterbacks but then they have Wisconsin on the schedule this year. They have Iowa on the schedule this year. And I think in those games, you just got to rely on your talent. All right, now we're going to probably play three linebackers. Now we're maybe going to get not more basic, but it's like, hey, we've got to stop the run and cover tight ends. Let's hope our dudes can handle that because schematically we've got to focus on how we're going to stop Bryce Young. How are we going to stop Caleb Williams? Because the goal for Ohio State is not to win the Big Ten, it's to win the national championship. So I always thought the idea of like, hey, you have a defense designed for Big Ten teams, and then you're going to change what you do in the playoff? I'd rather design the defense to win the national championship and then adjust during the year because, again, that's the goal. Build a national championship defense and figure out how to make it work in Big Ten play, not the reverse. So I do think it is a fascinating thing. But to hear safety-driven defense, you're going to play three safeties, you know, it's just a free safety, a strong safety, and a nickel, they call a safety. But again, this was a one-high team a couple years ago, and I thought they got burned sometimes when they played passing teams because, you know, you get an extra guy in the box and you stop the run, and that works great against Nebraska or Penn State or Michigan State. But now it's like, here comes Trevor Lawrence, and you're not sure what to do. But it's going to be it's, – it's a big deal to watch this schematic change. Again, just like Clemson, you know, there's a lot of good teams, just like Oklahoma. We're talking about teams this spring matters because they're changing sort of fundamentally who they are, which doesn't always happen, Shahan, with the best team. Sometimes you are who you fundamentally are for a decade without much change. We got a lot of big time teams with some change. Yeah, no, and, and I think that, you know, moving like you mentioned to kind of that three safety look, Oklahoma State was so good last year defensively because the big thing with Jim Knowles that I love about him and why he's one of my favorite coordinators in, in football is that he's so creative, right? He, he wants to have options. You kind of mentioned that fourth uh, defensive end. He's more of a swing guy. He's somebody who does have a few more responsibilities. And the reason for that is because Jim Knowles is willing to come at you from different angles. He's willing to rush linebackers. I mean, uh, somebody, if you're an Ohio State fan that you should go back and watch, is you should go watch some Malcolm Rodriguez because uh, he was – incredible for uh, Oklahoma State. He was a linebacker for them. Rushed the passer a lot. Uh, huge tackle for lost guy in the run game. Uh, I, I think that they kind of need to find that guy in their defense. But, you know, I mean, the, the big thing that you say, too, about Oklahoma State safeties, and they did have a couple years in the system, which helps, but they just knew what they were supposed to do. I, I think that Jim Knowles appears to be a really good teacher. And, um, you know, and, and so he'll, he can change things on the fly because he has players who do understand his defense. And it's one of the reasons why I'm curious, you know, is this a, a year one sort of thing or is this maybe a year two, year three, where you really get to see the full complement of it? I don't know. I mean, it, it's always hard to completely change a defense, especially when you were recruited to play a completely different style of defense. But, uh, but, I mean, again, I'm a big Jim Knowles fan, and I think he's going to have a lot of success there. And again, talking about imbalanced teams, Ohio State was too imbalanced a year ago. Best statistical offense in the country. Defenses wasn't good enough to get him to the playoff. 
They don't have to be perfect in the Jim Knowles system, but they have C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba and Trevion Henderson. They need a defense that doesn't hold them back, and they'll get better in 2023 and 2024, but they need the Knowles thing to work right now because they have a quarterback and a receiver and a running back that's probably the best trio of those guys in the country, and they can't have a defense that holds them back. Two more teams ahead. We'll get to them next. What are we watching this spring on the College Football Survivor Show? The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, the four teams that we started this podcast with, Shahan, last summer, the four teams that had dominated the college football playoff, they're the first four teams that we talked about here. We didn't plan that. We didn't know it was going to work out that way. So now we got to go off the board at least a little bit. Who's the last team you're really curious about this spring? Yeah, there's a lot of directions I think that you can go here, but uh, I'm going to go with a team that is in the midst of a major transformation, and that's Oregon. Oregon, of course, loses Mario Cristobal to Miami, but he kind of said it on the way out. You know, we've got three top 12 classes in consecutive years. I, I think it's actually four top 12 con- uh, consecutive classes. They were number nine in the 247 talent composite last year. And they bring in another Southeastern coach and Dan Lanning, who was the defensive coordinator at Georgia. A lot to be excited about. For me, what I'm most curious about is you bring in Kenny Dillingham as offensive coordinator from Florida State. He also coached at Auburn. He also coached at Memphis. What do they want Bo Nix or Ty Thompson to do, right? Like, what do they want their quarterback position kind of structured like? You know, do they want them to be somebody who runs a lot? Do they want it to be, you know, somebody who's who's throwing a lot more? Like, I'm just curious. You have a lot of coaches from different offensive backgrounds. And actually, I went through, I actually have an article up on CBSSports.com right now where I kind of talk about some of this stuff. But you've got offensive coaches who have come from the air raid because their running backs coach came from Western Kentucky and that Zach Kitley system. You've got a guy coming from the spread. You've got a guy coming from a pro style offense at Washington. You've got a guy coming from the Pittsburgh Steelers. There's not really a cohesive look at what this offense is going to look like. Now, I'll say, I love that. I love the idea of having, uh, I guess, schematic versatility if you want to, right? Actually, you know, because I can't uh, stop talking about this team. You know, UTSA was a team that I think really found its rhythm by having guys who did a lot of different things and not being married to one thing. But I'm curious, you know, coming coming into Oregon this year, they had a great play caller in Joe Moorhead, but I would argue that Oregon under Mario Cristobal never maximized their talent. I would argue that they kind of leaned on their talent and never quite elevated it. I, I'm curious now, bring in, again, a quarterback in Bo Nix who Kenny Dillingham coached while he was at Auburn for a brief period. Now what? You know, I, I'm curious uh, I'm curious what they want their system to look like, and I'm curious how it works in a Pac-12 that's kind of slowly but steadily starting to get better. I think it's really interesting. I think, again, Dan Lanning right now, Dan Lanning takes over at Oregon with more talent on the roster than Lincoln Riley takes over with at USC. And same with uh, Crystal Ball at Miami. Yeah. So we know, we know USC's coming. Can Dan Lanning get Oregon out to a head start? Because I think if you're in the Pac-12, you want USC to be great to lift the conference, but you're also maybe a little worried of like, is USC going to start steamrolling everybody? Can USC be to the Pac-12 what Alabama has been to the SEC? If Dan Lanning can use Cristobal's recruiting to establish his new era at Oregon, that's a huge deal. And they like, they want to go now. They want to go right now. And again, again, this guy's coming up being defense coordinator, national champion. There's a, he's got a, a lot of momentum in his own right. So I do think this is a really big spring for Oregon. Can they build something right away? My last one, this is a team we've talked about here. I, 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 I thankfully we're going to get through a podcast without talking about Texas A&M, which I'm slightly shocked about. Were they on your list? Were they on your backup list at all? <laughs> they were not. They were not. I think that I think that they're pretty straightforward, right? It's it's mostly just who's going to start at quarterback, and then you know from there, I feel like everything's pretty straightforward. I think we will do a a pod maybe next week on quarterback battles this spring around the country that are really going to matter, and Texas A and M may work in there. This team we've almost talked about as much as Texas A and M 
And there's a reason I want to talk about South Carolina. So it's obvious. Oh, I thought that we're a playoff podcast. No, I know. What, what does that have? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love the women's basketball playoff as much as anybody. I mean, I went to Baylor. We, we have a great time there, but I didn't think that's what we were talking about. On I this honestly, podcast. we probably, Dawn Staley deserves 15 minutes on this podcast. She is one of the great coaches in college sports. Don Staley actually makes more money than Shane Beamer. And that is like the first time I've been like, okay, that's right. That that's absolutely that. Thank you athletic department for valuing your most valuable employee. So let me say this. This is why, because not because South Carolina is going to be a playoff team, but because South Carolina's third game of the season is home against Georgia. South Carolina on October 22nd is home against Texas A&M. And South Carolina on the final weekend of the regular season is at Clemson. They play three teams during this regular season this fall who will be in the playoff mix. So what I am looking for from South Carolina this spring with Spencer Rattler as quarterback in there, they got uh, – who's the Wake Forest guy? Is it Christian Beal Smith? Is that his name? The best running back from Wake Forest who was transferred to South Carolina. They have a guy coming from the FCS – who I think had 1,200 yards receiving at James Madison last year. Austin Stogner, the Oklahoma tight end, is going to be there as well. Um, they have some pretty good offensive players back of their own. I, I don't have a – what's the guy's name? Javon Van? Oh, what's his first name? Josh Van, South Carolina receiver who's back, who was pretty good a year ago. They have some guys, right? But Spencer Rattler has to pull it all together. And so Josh Van last year, 13th in receiving – in the SEC, 52 yards per game. They have a couple pieces. They have a couple pieces. Their whole offensive line is back. Their offensive line wasn't good last year. This is the thing we always talk about, Shahan. All right, you guys are back, but do you want them back? So at least, okay, they didn't play that well in the offensive line. Will they be more cohesive? Will they come together? Will they protect Spencer Rattler? This is what Spencer Rattler said as South Carolina started spring football practice. I feel totally just refreshed. To be at a new university, a great university like this, I feel a sense of I'm very comfortable here. Knowing Coach Beamer and getting to know all these guys my first month up here, I made a great decision. I'm happy I'm in this position. And like you said, it's the pressure. I feel like the pressure's taken off a little bit this year. But my main focus is just starting up with my team here and go get going on spring ball. So listen. If Spencer Rattler feels comfortable, if he's engaged, if he has a couple weapons, I think he can affect the playoff race. But we got to see what he looks like this spring at South Carolina. I know people are out over their skis on South Carolina because they overachieved last year and beat a couple good teams and they won their bowl game. I get it. I'm not having a South Carolina in the playoff curiosity about their spring. I'm having a can South Carolina throw a wrinkle into the playoff, just like Texas A&M almost did last year by beating Alabama. They're going to have a chance. If they can win one of those three games against Texas A&M, Georgia, or Clemson, they're going to affect the playoff. And Spencer Rattler, a year ago, was the Heisman favorite. It's a weird situation. You don't often see a guy with this kind of hype and pedigree and raw natural talent change teams in college football. Joe Burrow was not nearly as established. Joe Burrow didn't play at all Ohio State before he transferred. Spencer Rattler was the dude at Oklahoma. So come on, man. And that's not about go Gamecocks. They're going to be in the playoff. It's not a 20-team playoff, so they're probably not going to be in. It's a 14-playoff. But can't they Can't they be a spoiler in here if Spencer Rattler starting this month shows what he might be? So the thing that confuses me about this whole conversation <laughs> is that we kind of, I think, universally agreed that Spencer Rattler – is an extremely flawed player, right? And, and that he maybe is not as good as we thought and that his decision-making is bad. I, I'm struggling to understand. Please, please help me understand how playing with a worse offensive line, worse receivers, worse running backs, and worse coaching, and alongside a defense that might be worse, is going to make him better because the pressure's off he's comfortable he clearly some that guy something happened with him last year he was not you again we talked about a lot he didn't look locked in he didn't look engaged he didn't look like he was maximizing his talent so yes he's flawed yes he throws some picks but i think like Get out of the spotlight a little bit. You got a reminder that nothing is guaranteed to anybody. 
can't he maybe get locked in enough to screw up Georgia's season in week three? No, no, you're out. Are you out on Spencer Rattler? I mean, it's, I don't want to say I'm out on Spencer Rattler, but I just, I don't think that this is a much better position for him to be in. Cause, cause for example, you, you mentioned week three, they play against Georgia, who's a better defense than he ever had to play while at Oklahoma. Week two, he goes to Arkansas. They're probably going to lose that game and they're probably going to lose it pretty badly. Uh, week one against Georgia State. I mean, Georgia State is not an amazing team, but they should have beat Auburn last year. And I think that South Carolina is probably worse than a, that Auburn team. You're in a position where the first three weeks, he could be stumbling a little bit. Now, then, then you get Charlotte, then you get South Carolina State. They go on the road to Kentucky, which is manageable. Then Texas A&M, then at Florida, you know, Tennessee looks a lot better at Clemson. Like, I don't see exactly where he's going to, like, put together the string of confidence-building moments because I just – I don't know. I just and, – and I also just don't think that South Carolina is I, – I don't think that they're going to, to run a whole lot that's going to be easy for him, right? Because one thing that he did mention is that, uh, you know, there was a quote going around where he's like, I feel like I've learned more in a month here at South Carolina than I did in my two years at Oklahoma or three years, whatever it was. And like, I I get that maybe he thinks that's like a compliment, but at the same time, it's also because they're going to be asking him to do a lot more things than what a lot of modern offenses do at this point. And so if you're asking him to process more, that's not my favorite. If he lights up the South Carolina spring game on April 16th, (laughs) right? Because I mean, it's like, Against your own team, against your own overmatched defense, probably with Josh Van and a couple, you know, some some guys to throw to. If that happens, people are going to be on alert. Oh, hi. I, I've heard of the spring game Heisman stuff, man. It's a, uh, uh, it's just, I, I, I really do think that Spencer Rattler is a much better player than he showed. Um, you know, I do think he is a still a very good quarterback. I mean, he's not somebody that I would take in the first round, but like. I think he can be fixed. I, I do think that can happen. I just, I, I feel like, I feel like I find myself becoming a South Carolina doomer, like just all the time because it's just so hard. South Carolina is such a hard program to play football at. You have to play Georgia every year. You have to play Texas A&M every year. You've always got a tough cross divisional game. You have to play Clemson at the end of every year. Like to know heading into every single season that you're going to lose to Georgia, Texas A&M and Clemson just to start your season. It's, it just sucks, man. It, it, it just sucks. The, the I'm writing that down. Spring game Heisman winner. We will do that podcast after all. The <laughs> definitely, definitely. I love definitely. that idea. Um, and it might be him. <laughs> And it might be him. And we'll just roll this. After he throws for 500 yards in the spring game, I'm going to go to the tape and say, roll out Shahan the hater. (laughs) South Carolina will be the worst SEC defense that they play until October 28th when they play against Missouri. That's how long they're going to have to wait to play another defense as bad as South Carolina. And South Carolina's defense isn't, like, terrible. But at the same time, they go again. They start SEC with at Arkansas versus Georgia at Kentucky versus Texas A&M. Opportunities abound. Opportunities abound. I, I think that that's what uh, I think that's what like Furman says when they get to play Clemson. Like, hey, we got nothing to lose. Anything can happen. South Carolina State's going to be saying that on September 30th. Like, hey, you know what? Like, uh, we got nothing to lose. Opportunities about. I like how I, I I can't believe I have wound up in the position as being the Spencer Rattler defender. But you are dropping Furman comparisons for Spencer Rattler, so I guess I am. <laughs> I guess I am. No, to, to be clear, to be clear, and I'm not I'm not calling Spencer Rattler Furman. I'm more calling South Carolina Furman. <laughs> like it's more that I just think that they had a lot of nice things happen in 2021. And a, you know, I, I mean you just look at Look at their schedule last year, right? They should have lost to Vanderbilt. They had like that miraculous game-winning drive. They should have lost to East Carolina in the second game of the year. They sh- they really could have lost to Troy, and they should have lost to Auburn. So like, 
yes, they went six and six and ended up going seven and six because North Carolina just decided that they didn't care about football anymore. But like, they could have gone like two and ten. It, it just they could have gone three and nine. I, I mean. It was a lot of really tight games that had a lot of favorable bounces. And and that doesn't even count Florida imploding on itself like a supernova that had really nothing to do. Well, I remember the, the halftime interview uh, of that South Carolina-Florida game, and Shane Beamer was just like, what the hell's going on? Like, he did not expect to be up by what he was up by. And I'll tell you what, when they go to Florida next year to play Billy Napier, it's not going to go like that. Now I feel bad for bringing up South Carolina because you just eviscerated them for five minutes and it's March and you are just, I'm like, oh, maybe Spencer Rattler will bring a little hope to the Gamecocks. And you're like, no, he won't. But it's not, I like how you said it's not Spencer. It's not you, Spencer Rattler. It's just everyone around you. So at least you threw that in there. You know what? I think that there's a lot to be excited about uh, if you're South Carolina in March, as long as you're a huge women's basketball fan, which I am. I, I think that South Carolina should be held up as one of the great programs in the sport, as long as the sport isn't football. Good luck, Don Staley. We'll try to get Don Staley on the show next week. I, I love Don Staley. She's she's one of the greats, man. She's one of the greats. But uh, yeah, she is a tremendous coach. Again, if we did a list of like yes, the 10 best yes, coaches yes. in any sport in college football, I think Don Staley's on that list. Shane Beamer is not apparently. Uh, okay. Thanks to you guys for making the college football survivor show part of your week. Again, the Tuesday pod that's for Apple podcast subscribers two nine nine a month. Love to have you there. CFB survivor show on Twitter. You can follow us there. You can read Shahan at CBS sports for now. For Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.